Thank you for listening to this chapel message, originally presented at Clark Summit University in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. With more than 70 on-campus and online programs, Clark Summit University prepares Christ-centered, career-ready graduates to make a difference around the world. We hope this is an encouragement to you today. Uh, I work with the young adults at uh, LCBC, and um, yeah, my thing is, I, I really enjoy talking to people about faith and uh, really kind of getting into what makes people tick, you know, and especially like I, I actually, I, I teach also at uh, Lancaster Bible College, I teach philosophy, um, uh, we do like contemporary culture studies and also apologetics. So it's that kind of stuff that I really enjoy. I like uh, hearing what makes people have uh, an issue with Christianity or, you know, differences of opinion. So I like, I'm more of a contrarian. Like I hear something and I say, well, is that really true? You know, so I like to poke at things. Um, And I think one of the big things I really enjoy doing is just finding out what makes people tick in terms of belief. And belief is just a big, big thing. So I want to share with you today just a couple ideas about belief uh, a couple uh, thoughts of, from Scripture about faith. And uh, I'm probably going to interchange belief and faith a lot, although I kind of have a feeling that they're, they're different things, even though they're kind of synonymous. But in our culture, when we talk about belief, sometimes, maybe it's the contrary in me, but I, I get annoyed at how we handle belief in our culture. We just came off of Christmas, and I don't know, have you seen, um, some of you have like grandmothers, Maybe I'm, I've got to be really careful because I'm sure there's some people that might even have this themselves. You know, they put like the little wooden letters on their mantle. It says like, believe. Or they have like those pillows and there's like these little stars like exploding. It says, believe. Um, I don't know. I look at those and I just think they're so kitschy. <laughs> I'm making enemies, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, we're, it's funny because like, we are a culture that basically says that people your age are walking away from belief. I don't know if you heard of the phenomenon of nuns, and I don't mean like nuns and, you know, in a um, convent. I mean nuns, like N-O-N-E, uh, that people are saying that young adults your age are walking away from the church, walking away from faith, or maybe inventing faith, becoming, creating like a patchwork of faith from Uh, all the different faiths out there. But essentially, whenever people are giving you a survey, like, what do you believe? You're hitting none, none of the above. So uh, your generation is known as the nuns uh, in terms of uh, generation studies. And um, it's just, it's interesting that that's kind of where our culture is, at least in terms of saying, okay, uh, we're, we're a culture that's walking away from belief. But at the same time, we've got this kind of craft market theology or this bumper sticker idea of like, just believe, okay? It's beautiful if you just believe. It's like believe and wish are like the same thing, you know? Or you ever, you ever see like someone, they wear this shirt that says, blessed, I'm blessed. And, and really what they're saying is like, I'm lucky. So it's, it's weird how we've taken some of these words that are biblical and we've, I don't know, we've made them mundane. We've, we've made them into these like soft and mushy ideas of dreams and fairy tales and unicorns and butterflies. You know, I, 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 I resist that. I, I don't like that idea. Uh, Josh Groban has one of the most annoying songs that has ever been recorded. 
Christmas songs, and again, I'm making enemies, I know, but you know that one is like, children, every time I hear that, I'm like, I just want to gag. And it's not because he's so like, uh, it's, it's more that the whole idea of the song is you have everything you need. If you just believe, what is this, Peter Pan? Like, what are we talking about here? And what does that even mean, if you just believe? So that means if I believe I can fly, I'm going to walk out, you know, jump out my window. It's just so schmaltzy. Um, and so I'm annoyed because what I want to talk about today, basically, and I want to finish this up tomorrow Belief is a decision. It's not a feeling. It's a decision. It's not a feeling. When we decide to act on beliefs, that's what faith is. I mean, uh, we don't even have to do Josh Groban. Go back to some classic rock. Don't stop believing. You know, that's a great song. It's a good pump-up song. What's the next line? Hold on to that feeling? Is belief really a feeling? Now, it's funny, you know, we're having some fun with this, but think about it for a second. You get pumped up and you believe. See, pumping up is a process of getting your feelings to catch up with your thoughts. But that's not belief. Belief is a decision. And I know, I don't want to like, I'm not, I'm not this wooden in like real life. Like I, I live and I, and I breathe and I get excited about stuff and I get pumped up about things as well. But when I'm talking about faith, when I'm talking about putting your trust in Jesus, it's not a feeling. It really isn't. It has nothing to do with our emotive state. It has everything to do with our decision. What have we decided to do? A great example uh, to kind of show this difference here a little bit. I'm sure you've heard of uh, Emile Blondin or Charles Blondin. Anybody heard of Charles Blondin? Awesome. That's good. I like, I like telling stories. So, so there's this guy. His name is Charles or Emile Blondin. He came from France. He was a tightrope walker. And some of you will recognize this story as I talk about it. What he did, he came in the 1800s. He came to America and he set up a two-inch rope. Two inches wide. Okay, it's like this big. Set up a two-inch rope over the Niagara Falls from the American side to the Canadian side. Are you recognizing this story now? Yeah. Um, he, he, he set it up across Niagara Falls. I don't know if he went to, you know, like some agency and got the okay or anything. I think it was a lot cooler in those days where he just kind of did it, you know. So he set it up and he walked across, but he didn't just walk across. As he's walking across, he brought like a camera. Now, cameras were much bigger in those days. They were like small refrigerators and they had like, he had like this little tripod, like a monopod type of thing. And he brought out, he walked out on this thing with a camera, aimed it back and took a picture. He carried out a stove on his back and a chair, sat down on a chair on a tightrope over the Niagara Falls, set out a stove and cooked an omelet. Like that's insane. He did a backflip on a two-inch piece of rope over the Niagara Falls. I mean, that's insane. 5,000 people came to watch him on the Canadian side as he came over to the other side. And they're all pumped up. You know, they're all like, don't stop believing. They're selling t-shirts. They got pillows, bumper stickers. Believe. So 
they're all excited about it. He goes over to the other side and he's just like, yeah, and they're all like, yeah, yeah. Well, 18th century version of yeah, yeah. It's probably like, cheerio, very good, yes, chapter. So he goes over there and they're all like, yeah, this is great. He's like, wasn't this awesome? And they're like, yeah, it's awesome. And he goes, do you believe I can do even better things than this? And they're like, yeah, I think you can. He's like, would you believe I can put somebody on my back and walk across? And they're like, yeah. And so it's like this huge thing. And he goes, Who's, who wants to do it? And it was crickets, like literally crickets. They were like, uh, it's a great idea. I'm all for you, but I'm not going to do it. What are you, crazy? Is it really belief if you never do it? Like, do they really believe if they never get on his back? Would you? Who would do it, seriously? Would you really, seriously? I know you're like, yeah, I'm going to do it just because I want everybody to look at me. But would you really do it? Wow. All right, glad we don't have to see that. Suffice it to say, though. And what's your name? Okay, I'll tell him. <laughs> Thanks, George. King George over there, he's going to get on somebody's back and go across the Niagara Falls. But George, you know what this is like. Look, there is a difference between feeling and doing. George is all excited. He told me his name was George. I'm excited about that. It's good. You expressed some serious faith. You, you, you did a good thing. Um, but there is a huge difference between feeling and doing, and really, honestly, between watching and doing. And this is why, listen, this is why I think so many of us feel disappointed with our relationship with God, is because we watch instead of do. There are a lot of us that have played it safe, and we wait for the feelings we want the fuzzy emotional side of things, but we don't want the risky side of faith. Man, a lot of us want to, you know, we want to go to uh, some, some worship gathering and feel like the tingles. And, you know, you do. You get caught up in the moment. But it's a lot harder to have faith when you decide to do something that actually hurts you. And that's really what belief is. Because you can believe anything in the safety of your mind. When you live out your beliefs, that's when things get risky. And it requires us to take a leap of faith. Listen to me, very important, and write this down. Faith doesn't come without risk. You can't have faith and safety. Because really, otherwise, what's there to overcome? Faith becomes real when we do something about it. That's why we talk about a leap of faith. Many of us talk about this when, when we're coming to faith for the first time. You know, when we try to convince somebody to follow Jesus. And we've all had conversations with people. No, 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 you should really put your trust in Christ. And then we think, well, you know, they just don't have the faith yet or they don't believe yet. And, and when that person actually does make that leap from not believing to believing or from not following Jesus to following Jesus, man, that was the last time many of us have ever expressed faith. Think about that for a minute. That level of faith of being not a believer to following Jesus, for many of us in this room, that was the last time we really expressed that magnitude of faith. And that's not the way the Christian life was meant to be lived. It was meant to say, okay, so you, you made that leap. Now we got a lot more. There are more leaps to go. But somehow we become Christians and then we get real comfy. You know, we get around other people that are like us, who can sing the same things as us, say the same things as us, think the same things as us. 
And so I want to really poke you today and I want to say, you know what? We really need to get out of that comfort zone and actually take leaps of faith, like little things. It's funny, you know, I just said take big leaps of faith in little things. There are big leaps of faith that we take in little things. I used to work at the Olive Garden a long, long time ago. Great place for breadsticks. So um, I remember I was cashing out at the end of the night, you know, because of tips and all that kind of thing. And uh, I um, reported my tips and there came a point where I could go, oh, I didn't make as many tips. In fact, one of the guys was like, don't report all your tips. And I'm like, what? It's like, don't make the rest of us look bad. So what, I mean, is that lying? Is that wrong? How about any of you get paid under the table? Is that wrong? Is that lying? See, that's where we take little leaps of faith that are big leaps of faith. That's where our faith becomes action. And we say, okay, well, I got to do the right thing. So I want to continue on here and talk a little bit more about this because basically when you have faith, you take leaps. Go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at an episode here where uh, Jesus stretches the faith of Peter. Matthew chapter 14. Start in uh, verse 22. And in verse 22, it says, immediately after this, so we immediately stop because we say, whoa, wait, immediately after what? So let's go back a little bit because context is king. Beginning of Matthew 14, you find out that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, is dead. So that's not good news. And it's something that weighed on Jesus, Okay. And then he's about to go and kind of take some time off and he gets kind of roped into this feeding of the 5,000, right? So he has his disciples, kind of stretches his disciples a little bit and says, hey, why don't you feed them? And teaches them a lesson, spends the day teaching, spends the day just schmoozing with people, you know, like all day long. After he found out that his cousin is dead, he knows that this is where his fate is. And so it's a heavy day. Heavy day of service, heavy day emotionally, heavy day uh, spiritually. And it says immediately after this, verse 22, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Now, what's really interesting about there, a textual note here in verse 22, it says immediately after this, this word is in the Greek, it's euthus. Euthus is used most often by Mark. Mark is like a bam, bam, bam type of person. He'll say, and immediately or straightway, this happened. Euthus, this happened. Euthus, ace, ace. So he goes on and on and on. But Matthew doesn't use it as much. So he uses this word here immediately after this. Jesus insisted his disciples get back into the boat, cross to the other side of the lake. While he sent the people home, you almost get this idea of Jesus like, all right, all right, come on, come on, it's time to go, time to go, I need a little God time. Verse 23, after sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land for a strong wind had risen. They were fighting the heavy waves. Now, you got to understand, in this area, uh, in the Sea of Galilee, it's like a trough. There, there's like a real... Uh, Uh, like a carved out area. It's almost like a wind tunnel where the Sea of Galilee is. And so Jesus goes up on the hill and he's just kind of like praying, talking to God. And he can see some scholars say that this might even be, uh, there might be a full moon because of uh, the the timing of this. And he might be able to see them and look down and be like, oh wow, they're really struggling. And and they are, they're they're getting blown around. So Jesus goes down and and he wants to, to intercept them. Now, 
I think at any point Jesus could have just gone to them and on the side of the lake just been like, hey guys, you okay? You need anything? You want me to throw you something? And maybe because of the wind and the waves, they wouldn't be able to hear him. So I'm, I don't know, there's part of me that wonders if Jesus is like, this will be kind of fun. I'm just going to freak him out. I'm going to walk out to them. Because you remember, this is nighttime. In the ancient world, nighttime is the time when demons are out, where uh, unresting souls wander. I mean, there's all kinds of Jewish and even Greek folklore about nighttime. So they would have already been a little skittish. On top of that, uh, we know that bodies of water in, in ancient cosmology kind of link you with the underworld. And so to be on a, a body of water at night while there's a storm, they're kind of freaked out already. And then all of a sudden they see Jesus walking in on them. He's like, hey, yo, you guys all right? So what's the reaction? Verse 27, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Take courage, I'm here. And then Peter sees him. I totally don't get Peter's thing here. We, we overlook this too much. Verse 28, Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. Why? Well, what is the standard thing? You should be in a boat and be like, hey, if it's really you, come on over. Get in the boat. This will be cool. Hey, look at this guy. He's walking on the water. That's wild. Jesus, you're, you're full of surprises. That, that's what we would do, right? That's what I would do. That's what George would do. So, Instead, he says, hey, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. There's something really cool. We can't get into it right now, but um, there's something really cool about that. That Peter's like, okay, stretch me. So Jesus says, yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat, okay? And do you, do you know what that's like? I don't. I, I can only imagine going, I mean, because it's a big boat. Imagine going like and touching the water with your foot and being like, okay, at what point do I commit? What point do I actually put weight? Because you'd feel water, you'd be like, oh, I'm gonna sink. But all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, that's like plywood, that's interesting. And then the other, and you're like, whoa. And what does the text say here? Walked on the water toward Jesus, but when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified. And then he cries out, he's like, save me, Lord. And Jesus immediately reached out, he's like, why do you have so little faith? Why'd you doubt me? I just love that Peter jumps in and that he doesn't just feel faith, he actually practices it. And see, that's the deal with faith. It's all about doing. You know, Peter is the only human this side of the grave who will ever know what it feels like to walk on water. Ever. Because he did something with it. So, I talked earlier about a leap of faith, and uh, like I said, I teach philosophy, and I love uh, Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard talks a lot about that. Actually, Kierkegaard kind of borrows this from Gotthold Lessing, but um, he talks about this leap of faith, and really, it's, it's, it's a simple thing. Like, a leap of faith is when you actually uh, jump from one place to another, okay? So, you have where you're at where you want to be, and then you have kind of like this middle point, okay? So here's where you are, here's where you need to be, but then there's this gap in between, okay? 
And that's what the leap of faith is all about, that there's this desired outcome. Faith has a here, it has a there, and then it has a mid-air. And no one ever talks about the mid-air. And that was the whole crux of Kierkegaard's idea of the leap of faith. The leap of faith wasn't like, yeah, blind faith, you're just like, all right, let's go. I feel it. Hold on to that feeling. You know, like snowflakes and children, and you have everything you need if you just believe. It wasn't about that. See, faith begins with the inability to get somewhere. And the only way you can get to that place where you can't go any further is when you risk something and you actually do something. It's called mid-air faith. Because, think about this for a minute. The leap of faith is not about this and it's not about this. I know, it's a stupid visual, but this is not the leap of faith. Why? Because I still got a foot on the ground. This is not the leap of faith because I've landed. Those, those are the most exciting portions of a leap. Like this is like, I can do it. And this is like, no way. God did something. I landed. This is midair. You don't have a foot here. You don't have a foot there. You're in the air. And we don't like that area, do we? We don't like to be in middle ground. In fact, that's what we pray over and over. God, just, you know, deliver me, do something. But actually, that's the place where our faith grows. Midair faith means you've left safety behind. There's no comfort of where you are. You have no assurance you're going to land where you want to land. And honestly, this is where some of us are. Some of us in this room feel like, all right, God, you're not listening to me. Or I'm cursed in some way. Or like, maybe you're not there, God, because I just feel like I'm in midair. That is the place of those people who have faith. Trust is God's will, is, is, trust is in God's will, not what I want. Sometimes people think faith is like this vending machine. I'll just keep putting quarters in and I'll finally get what I want. That's not faith. Faith is in midair. I'm jumping in this way, but I'll trust God wherever he lands me. See, we all want to feel faith, but you, you know the feeling of faith is nausea. The feeling of faith isn't victory. Josh Groban had it wrong. You'll have high blood pressure. You'll feel like you're out of answers. You won't know where to go if you just believe. It doesn't sound very fun, does it? It's like that, you know, you're on a country road, you go up and down, and you're like, woo. You know, when you're a kid, you're like, do it again, do it again. And then when you're 20, you're like, stop. I need to get sick. So there are three parts to faith. There's the jumping, there's the landing, and there's the, the midpoint. And can I just say this? I think that's how we talk to and hear from God. When we say, God, I'm going to try something, that's the jumping off. And then when we land, that's like God saying, I got you. It's good. And that's a conversation we need to have over and over again. Some of you feel like God's not talking to you because you're never jumping. The conversation of God, when we hear God's voice, is when we jump. And then God comes through and lands us somewhere. 
So yeah, of course, of course God's not talking to you because you're not taking risks. So I want to challenge you. I'm going to come back tomorrow and kind of finish this up a little bit. But if you don't hear God, it means you're not jumping. In order to grow faith, you need to see it at work. Thank you for listening to this message from Clark Summit University's Chapel Series. Visit www.clarksummitu.edu to learn more about CSU. Become a Christ-centered, career-ready graduate through on-campus and online degree programs. Look for us on social media, at Clark Summit U, and share your feedback.